0: I so thought it's worth introducing myself because otherwise you sort of think Steph's gone. Who's this? You know, he's obviously just thought uh, he's just got a bit of eye candy up the front to keep the girls keep the girls happy while he's away for the week. But actually, I'm part of the leadership team here, so um, so this yeah not just a pretty face. So um, this is the fourth and final uh, talk in a series on transformation. Uh, so week one. Uh, it was about transformation of the heart. Steph spoke about, it looks at the story of Peter and how when God comes into your life, he completely transforms your heart in a way that you could never do with philosophy or self-help. Um, very beautiful, excellent talk here if you can. Um, then week two, a guy called Andy Tilsley came from uh, Christchurch and he spoke about transformation of culture, particularly in, in the UK. And he looked at Moses and the way that Moses... Uh, in Exodus 33, he said, "God, I want to see Your face," and the way that he he just hungered after God's presence. And that if we want to truly transform our culture, that's how we do it: is by um, first getting getting hold of God. And uh, so that was transformation of culture. Then last week, Steph spoke on transformation of the nations, and he just did a big sweep of the whole of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, just looking at God's gospel and His heart for. For the nations, that just comes out in, in all of scripture. Again, very excellent. Please, I feel it's a, that is a real important one if you can li- listen to it if you missed it because it um, also talks about Revelation Church and what that means for us as a church to, to be a church that goes after the nations. And then so this week, so we've really gone, it's kind of e- exploded as it's gone on. So it started with the transformation of the heart and transformation of uh, culture and then the nations, and then this week, the last week, I'm going to talk on transformation of the cosmos. Yes, the cosmos. That just means universe or all of creation, or basically everything. So um, so I'm going to look at you know, what's going to happen at the resurrection when Jesus comes again, I'm going to look at, okay, what happens to us, what happens to our, our bodies, what will happen to the earth and, and all of creation and then so the end I'm going to look at. What does that mean? I'm going to look at uh, one application of that, which is looking at uh, our attitude towards uh, ecology and the environment um, as Christians. What is a biblical viewpoint of that? Now, um, when I was a child, I was a... It's probably not an exaggeration to say superstar. <laughs> uh, I was on a, a, a quiz show. This was in the days... You wouldn't remember this, but... There used to be something... Before, uh, X Factor didn't always exist. and On a Saturday night, they used to show other stuff. So, uh, Saturday night, they used to show... One thing was a child's play, which was a, a quiz show where they got extremely cute kids on. on and, and kids would uh, describe a word, and then these guest, um, these guest show contestants had to guess, OK, what is this child trying to describe? And so I was on this show, and um, the trouble was I was a bit... Uh, even then, I was a little bit special. And uh, <laughs> they used to basically put me on before the ad break as a, like, this is what happens when they, we get, you know, <laughs> a gifted child. So uh, this is what I said when I had to describe baby. It comes out of your mummy... And they eat sort of sausages on a string. <laughs> now, what I w- let me just explain to you what I was thinking here. A weeks earlier, I'd been to the National History Museum, my dad, and I'd seen a, a giant model of a fetus, and I'd seen the umbilical cord. And I said to my dad, what's that? And he said, that's, that's how they feed, that's how they eat. I was like, okay, they eat sausages on a string through their belly button. <laughs> so, actually, actually, pretty bright. And uh, I did that one this morning, so let me, those people that came this morning, let me just give you another one. This is another, mo- my genius, describing Julius Caesar. She's from a show. <laughs> and she's got blonde hair. I think that's all I know about her. I was kind of, I remember that moment, just the guy was looking at me and I thought, I'll just, I'll pr- just sort of bluff my way through this one, I'm pretty sure I know. <laughs> Yeah, and I didn't, so that's not, that's not as Julius Caesar is. All right, so... Um, oh, yeah, I forgot the whole point of that. I was just about to move on. So I was just telling a bunch of gags. There is actually a point to this. So, right, this is what some kids said when uh, they were asked, what is heaven? So, uh, two nine-year-olds. First one, Layla says, I think they would just sit and pray all day. And they wear long white robes with gold belts and Jesus sandals. And then Victoria comes in with, I think from looking at it from somewhere, it would be all red and they could just see it in a sort of darkish brown in all the things in the background. And I think there will be churches and square things, but they would be sharp. (laughs) But they would just look as if they were sort of boxes. Well, another thought. Inside, I think there would be a sort of cave with all little paths leading to it. And all the people would be laying on the floor and mumbling and groaning and moaning. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, that's pretty funny. But um, actually, I, I wonder if, if we went around this room and just asked, okay, what is your understanding of what is heaven like? What is going to happen at the resurrection? Uh, what's new heavens and new earth? All this stuff. I wonder if there'd be... Almost as much confusion for us. It's a, it's a, it's a subject where there's kind of a lot of tradition, a kind of different viewpoints, and I just wanted um, to take some time, really, and just okay, what does the Bible actually say, and, uh, uh, and what does Scripture actually tell us? So I'm not going to say. So we're going to do that. I'm just not going to say. You know, does that sound good? Because whenever said says that sound good, if no one sort of if, mm, so that's what we're going to do. So <laughs> whether whether you just deal with it. All right. So. Uh, if you'd like to turn, if you've got a Bible, Matthew 28, so the Bible is, is split into two halves, Old Testament and New Testament, the book of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, and we're looking at uh, chapter 28. So, the first thing we're going to look at is, is Jesus at the resurrection, really this whole story begins at the cross, everything begins at the cross, and... Uh, because of what Jesus did on the cross, he, as he hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. What he meant is death is beaten. He conquered death absolutely. And uh, he didn't just mean for himself that he would then be resurrected, just going, what we're going to look at. But actually, he defeated death for all of us, and we're going to have that same uh, resurrection. So really, he's like a kind of forerunner, almost like a kind of prototype for us. So we're going to look at what Scripture says about um Jesus' resurrection body. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 28. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women... Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet... And worshipped him. So I'm just going to quickly look at this. And at, what does this little passage tell us about Jesus' uh, resurrection? And what kind of resurrection was it? Well, the first thing they say is that, it's um, like look, he's not there anymore. He's, his body's gone. And so it's not that his body remained there and he, his spirit had risen. And it's not that he'd, um, it's not that he's, uh, what's the other thing? But anyway, it, so it's not that his body... Yeah, that's right. It's not that his body had gone and risen, and it's not that... Um, but basically, that his, his body itself had transformed, and so there, there was no... There were, oh, what was the other thing? I don't know. It's just completely gone. Okay. So, yeah. So anyway, he's got a new body. So, but actually, the, the bones themselves, the, the body was had been transformed into a new body, and, and it was... Um, and the second thing we see is that the women came and they touched his feet and they worshipped him. But that body was actually physical. So, And, and we know from um, John 21, it says that uh, that body even eats. He eats fish for breakfast, has kippers for breakfast. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us it's imperishable in glory, in power. It's fit to live with God eternally. And we also know it's kind of... Um, it's, it's recognisable, so when they saw him, when they saw Jesus, they recognised him. But it's also it's also different. So it's, there's continuity, but there's also a change there. So I wonder it might be that just simply that his um, Jesus was just all sorrow had gone. So he was just so filled with with a kind of joy and life that there's other accounts where disciples met Jesus they didn't recognise him at first. So what, what have we learned from this? We've learned that his body is physical. Learned that there's continuity, but there's also change. It's different in some ways. It looks different in some ways. It's also it's imperishable. It's it's going to live eternally. And Philippians 3:21 tells us Jesus will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. So actually, we're all going to have that same glorious resurrection body too. All right. So that's the first thing we've learned. We're going to have bodies for all eternity. And they're going to be like his. They're going to be amazing, glorious, powerful bodies. Now we're going to look at, okay, what does, what does it say about the earth? What's going to happen to the earth? We're going to look at two uh, kind of contrasting scriptures, passages. Uh, so the first one is in Romans 8. If you want to turn, so you go forwards a few books. So you go through the Gospels, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans to chapter 8. I've actually got this one on the PowerPoint slide. Um, just because I thought, you know, technology and stuff. Uh, so, if you haven't got your Bible. Alright, so, starting at verse 19. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Now in Genesis, when uh, God created the world, it said that he looked, uh, he he saw it, and and he saw it as very good. So creation itself is good, but then because of Adam's sin, uh, evil came into the world and it, um, it, it caused decay and bondage. That's what it's talking about, it's saying that, um, creation is subjected to futility. So, um, evil's come into the world. And then, if you look at it, it says, so verse 20, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. So, saying that God actually was over that. Even though evil came into the world, God is still, it's still within his will. It's still, um, God is still sovereign over this happening. In hope, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So although creation is subjective, futility, decay, there's death on the earth, um, although that's the case now, the creation will, will be set free from that corruption and it will have this same uh, glorious, um, imperishable nature that we're going to have. It's talking about us, it says the sons of God. So in the same way that we'll have these amazing, glorious, powerful, incorruptible bodies, creation itself will, will become that way. It will become imperishable. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers. So if you look around you, there's suffering, decay. The state of the world looks pretty bad. You've got deforestation and, and death and, and toxic waste. And the whole place looks pretty. It's a pretty grim picture. And it groans and suffers. So you're thinking... Is, you know, is, is the earth going to die? Is it going to be awful? But actually, completely contrary to what you might think, it says actually this is the pains of childbirth that's going on. So, you know, when you hear, you might hear someone. If you ever heard someone in labour, obviously a midwife here or any dads here. All the dads are at home, sleep, apart from me. Um, you'll know that it sounds someone in labour sounds pretty awful. They're groaning, moaning, and you know, and you're rubbing their back, thinking I can't do anything about this. But actually, it sounds awful. <laughs> But actually, it's not death. It's not death, but actually, it's beautiful new life coming out of that. So, this first passage, it's saying that what's going to happen at the resurrection isn't that the earth's going to be destroyed. It's not, all, um, it's not that God is going to destroy creation and, and, and give us something new. And it's not that He's going to destroy it and we're all just going to go to heaven. Uh, but actually, he's, he's going to renew the earth. And it's going to be in the picture of His like childbirth. So, that's our first picture. The resurrection is like childbirth. Now let's look at our second. Uh, it's kind of contrasting passage. It's in Second Peter, so if you kind of go uh, right to the back of the Bible and then come forward uh, about three or four um, books, you'll hit Second Peter, and we're looking at chapter three, starting at verse ten. Now, this is quite a tricky passage, so you'll have to really—I know oh, it's late, but try and concentrate, get your brains, keep your brains focused, um, because. First reading, if you read it kind of on the surface, uh, it might look like it's talking about the earth's going to be destroyed. But this is a good example of how we really need to read scripture carefully sometimes. When we hit a, a tricky passage like this, you might need to get a, a commentary or you might need to you know, ask someone like me. And then I would go and get a commentary. So <laughs> I don't know. All right. So chapter three, starting at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. What is this talking about? It's some pretty vivid, crazy imagery. This is what we call apocalyptic language, which you find a lot of, particularly in Revelation. It's, it's, it's very rich in imagery. It's quite poetic. It's quite hard to understand, and, and it shouldn't be taken too literally. And these kind of... Uh, some of these uh, images of... The heavens being destroyed, elements burning—these are classic kind of Hebrew images that, that the readers would have understood. is talking about God's judgment. This whole passage is talking about when God judges uh, us and judges the creation at, at the resurrection. And we don't have time to look at it, but actually, the the preceding verses from five to nine, they also talk about a judgment. It's talking about a judgment in the past when uh, God sent a flood. Uh, in the days of Noah, and so that there was back then, there was a judgment of water, and uh, God destroyed much of the earth. But out of that, he, he, you know, His new plan with Noah came out. With this, it's talking about a future judgment, and it's with a kind of metaphorical fire. So God's going to bring fire, and it's going to um, some stuff will be destroyed, but out of it will come His uh, His His new plan, as it were. And um, there's kind of there's a there's a parallel. Uh, Passage in one Corinthians three, which you might be very familiar with if you've been kind of around the church scene for a while. That talks about how we um, build in our lives and the stuff that we do, and it says, you know, when you when you do good stuff, it's like uh, you're building with gold and silver. You, you know, you're building for eternity, and the the wrong stuff you do, that's like building with uh, with with wood and straw. And so when God, God's judgment comes, all that rubbish stuff's going to be burned up. But all the, the good stuff that you that, that you've built, um, all the stuff that you've built that's according to God's way, is like gold and silver and it'll be all the more glorious. And that passage is uh is kind of a parallel to this one. It's saying that when at the resurrection, um, God's gonna do something to to the earth. Is everything that's all the evil that's there is he, gonna be burned up, it'll be destroyed. But all all that's good will be um will be made even more glorious. It, so that so the actual picture is like Rather than the earth being destroyed, it's like it's going to be purified. So, our first passage in Romans 8, that was saying that uh, the resurrection is going to be like a new birth. This one is saying it's going to be like a purification. So, both images are are, are very much about a renewal. It's not about destruction, but it's about a renewal of the earth. Now, I just want to kind of... And there's there's other pictures, actually, in 1 Corinthians 15, there's a a picture of... um, a seed falling to the ground and dying, and again, out of that sprouts new life. So there's always kind of pictures that are quite helpful to help us understand actually what's going to happen at the resurrection. But um, So what have we learned so far? We've learned that we're going to have bodies, we're going to have real physical bodies that are glorious and perishable, that the earth is going to be renewed. Uh, I just want to say a little bit about heaven, because obviously you're thinking, well, where does heaven fit into this? Well, um, Let's just flip forward a, a couple of pages to, to Revelation. So the last book of the Bible and, and chapter 21. And again, we'll start at verse 1. So it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. So actually what is happening is uh, the resurrection is that heaven and earth are going to come together, and the picture is like um, a bride and groom. So heaven at the moment is... uh, So if if you know Jesus and you were to die today, you would go to heaven that's kind of what you're used to hearing that's that's true but actually that's not our final destination actually our final destination is the new heavens and new earth which is which is one place it's here so heaven and earth are going to come together we're going to be here for all eternity and and, um, god will be amongst us so when you look so we know that and what else do we know about heaven we know that it's it's a place where Christ is. So when Christ was on the cross and he, the thief was along, next to him, he said, you know, I'll tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. So it's, it's, it's where Christ is. We're you to die today. That's where you would go to be with him if you know him. But actually, the story doesn't end there. Heaven comes to earth and that is, uh, heaven and earth come together and that is God's plan for, for eternity. All right, so we've looked at What's going to happen to the earth uh, when Jesus comes again? And obviously, once you get a, a good biblical understanding of, uh, of God's plan in that sense, it will affect every, every area of your life. But I just want to look at, um, so it, you can kind of pick anything really to, in terms of application, but I did just want to look at um, the environment because it's such a, it's a real issue of our day, isn't it? It's something that, um, if you look at the newspaper, it's something that's talked about a lot. And I do believe that if we get a, a biblical understanding of okay, what does, how should we act towards uh, in terms of ecology and environment now, I do believe that not only will it glorify God because we're, we're being obedient to him, but I believe it will be in a, it's a fantastic witness because it's something that is talked about a lot. It's something where there's actually not a lot of hope in the way that talk, people talk about It's quite a bleak um, sort of view people will see in the future. And, and if we can have a, an understanding of what is God's plan... And it's a, a, a brilliant witness to people that don't know Jesus yet. So there's stuff like, so we hear about overpopulation, deforestation, ozone depletion, toxic waste, dwindling resources, uh, global warming is the real big one. The UN's intergovernmental panel on climate change, so a bunch of you know, cone heads have said that, and um, uh, uh, um, they're independent cone heads, these ones, so they're not like biased, this is, this is their kind of, projection of what would happen uh, by the year 2080. So this isn't what fact what's going to happen, this is just what the biggest cone heads guess. Um, but it you know, seems to be fairly unanimous. 18 million people exposed to severe flooding. Water availability could decline. Over 3 billion people in the Middle East and the Indian subcontinent could be facing acute shortages of water. Even relatively small changes in rainfall could cumulatively dramatically decrease global crop yields. Areas such as sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia and tropical areas of Latin America could face major food shortages. People's resistance to disease could be weakened by heat stress, water shortages and malnutrition. Increases in air pollution could lead to a rise in respiratory illness. Suffering, futility, bondage, decay. That's what Romans 8 says. And it's... You know, these predictions, not, we don't see a lot of hope, do we, when people talk about this? So I want to go back to our, our passage in Romans and see actually what does, what does the Bible say. So if you go back, uh, hopefully you know where Romans is because we were there a little while ago. Um, I just want to look at, okay, what, is, what do we as Christians, what should we think about this? So um, let's start again. So Romans chapter 8, verse 19 So this is uh, slide three, uh, PowerPoint, dude. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. So it's not this one. There's another one where it should be like in red. No, maybe not. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. It's a big difference. See what I'm using word processor and stuff. I can do that. Make type go a color so for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope so this is so important for us because it's saying that god allowed it's saying god subjected creation to this so god allowed this to happen so uh, god's allowed decay to happen it just helps us remember that actually god is sovereign he is over everything that is a reason to in hope that the creation itself Will be set free from its slavery to corruption, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth together until now. And let's go on to the next the next verses. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we've been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. And what is this hope? It's not the kind of hope you know, that we use in our everyday language, like you know, I hope I marry a sugar babe or <laughs> I hope that Matt actually does buy me a drink instead of that thing he always does where he stands at the bar and says, oh, I'll get a drink, and then, oh, I'll just go to the toilet, and he leaves you there, and you have to buy his drink on top of your drink. He's done it to me. Um, <laughs> but this is uh, a sure and certain hope, um, and it's something that comes uh, from a real established trust in God that you get by knowing him. And it's, so it wouldn't do us any good to, uh, it's not that you just get it by, you know, God, please give me your hope and just sort of standing there and, uh, and praying, God, please give me your hope. But actually, it's something that we develop by getting into the Bible and, uh, and knowing him, asking him to reveal himself through his word. So if you think, if you're the kind of person that says, yeah, I struggle sometimes with faith and believing in God and Entrusting Him, read your Bible. I'm preaching to myself here, but it's, I know it's basic. But we need to be people of the word. We You know, the, the more, the more I've just been more and more convinced lately. Just convicted, actually. I've got to be someone who reads the Bible daily, and it's basic. But it's worth saying because we need to be people that are, are just of His Word. And, and as we do that, we get an understanding of His His sovereignty. We understand that He is. Overall and so when we look at this bleak picture um, that a scientists are saying that of doom for the earth of you know heating up and heating up and more and more people and not enough water um, but actually we can if, if we 're people of, of the world we, we can get a biblical worldview uh, worldview and understand that actually God is still over this uh, we can still trust him and uh, he is our hope and what I mean by that is what, what I'm not saying, and please don't misunderstand this because this would make the whole talk totally pointless, What well, would do more damage than good. Um, what I'm not saying is then that we can just read our Bibles and then God's going to sort it out. You know, we can just crank up the heating or get a really, you know, one of those big cars with big engines and spew fumes and pollute the earth and chuck rubbish off over it. We can't do that. We're, we're called to still... Um, We're called actually to be the people that make the change because, in in, in Scripture, it's quite clear that God's church is His plan, and that's how He's going to work things out. So when crises come, actually His plan is the church, and uh, in the same way that you know you don't think that when when you see the poor, you don't think, well, God's going to sort that out. But actually, no, you've got we've got to go and feed the poor because that's what He told us to do. Or you know, in, in terms of our personal holiness it's not that we think you know well when when jesus comes again he's going to make me completely sin free so i can just chill out and not you know not worry about doing good and not sinning actually no he's called us to, to anticipate what's going to happen in the future so uh, we anticipate his kingdom come don't we? we we do stuff now even though we can't do it perfectly we do all we can now because uh that's that's his plan that's the way he works Rein, Rein, Reinhold, Reinhold Niebuhr, who's I guess German, says uh, <laughs> live as though Jesus is coming back today, plan as though he's not coming back for 10,000 years. So yeah, we live as if he's coming back today, we do our best to live for him, but we've got to be, we don't know the times, we don't know what's we don't know when he's going to come again. So we live, uh, we, we plan as though he's not coming back for 10,000 years. So, how do we do that? What do I mean by the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. And what he literally means is it's like there are handfuls of the kingdom that we can just that we can grab uh, 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 and bring it into reality. So, it's like when you uh, grab hold of the Bible and, and, and share it with someone, God's kingdom is coming right there. You're bringing his kingdom right there in that that time and space, or when you grab a bit of food and give it to someone who's hungry, you're bringing God's kingdom, you're plucking it out of the air almost and and, and bringing it into that situation right there or when you clothe the hungry. I mean, clothe the hungry, you clothe the naked. You can clothe the hungry as well. They probably, yeah. But you're bringing his kingdom right into that moment. And uh, and it's the same with this. You know, when you uh, grab uh, something off the supermarket shelf, that is... uh, Made it in a sustainable, responsible way. You're you're bringing God's kingdom. You're saying this is this is God's way. I'm I'm bringing it right here. Or when you um, campaign, you know, when you, you know, hold a placard or or write a, write a things your MP or you know you campaigned for for your government or corporation to to steward the earth responsibly and to um, care for creation. You're by doing that in the same way. You're you're bringing God's kingdom. And that is his—that's um, his plan. As we do that, it's, it's like we're—we're in—in this little way, we're anticipating what God's going to do completely in perfection when He comes in, in resurrection. I do think that this is a—it's um, a—you know—that as we bring this hope, it's—you know—we know kind of thing. We know kind of how to treat creation in terms of, you know, we're told to be stewards and, and uh, to, to care for the earth and and we know that, um, you know, it's got creation, is God's, uh, it's kind of his, uh, creation declares his glory so that we, we know that we, we care for creation because it, it, it declares his glory, it worships him in some way. But also I think that as we are mindful of these things, uh, uh, mindful of the, the issues that are Really buzzing today, that it is an amazing um, witness to people. I, I do think this issue is a kind of, it's such a big one for our generation. It's like, in the same way that, um, you know, in Wilberforce's day w- with slavery, that was the issue of their day, and the Christians had to step up and be the ones that, that really pioneered. It's the same for us in the sense that, you know, we could conceivably. Our kids could be saying to us, you know, you knew what was going on with global warming, but you didn't do anything about it. I do believe it's the same kind of importance. It's also an issue of caring for the poor as well, isn't it? Is that because it, the poor are affected worse than anyone else. So just in terms of response, um, I want to kind of... I think there are two kind of extremes, really, as Christians that we can... Uh, extreme kind of positions that we can adopt, and we need to be kind of careful of... Uh, and Actually want to be somewhere in the middle and, and hold the two intentions, so on the one hand you 've got your kind of super uh, s- spiritual no, i don 't want, I don't want it to be negative is it you 've got your Christian who 's very kind of mindful of of salvation and, and wanting to bring God's, uh god 's words to people that they would be saved, and on the other end you, you 've got your kind of real campaigning uh, environmentalist type christian and um, the strength of this position is that you understand that you know God wants to save as many people as possible, and that we've got to tell, preach the, the God's word to people. Um, what can sometimes be the weakness of that position is that people become, people narrow the gospel down to just being about what Jesus does in your heart, and 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 missing that the gospel is so much bigger than that as we've done in, and that's partly what's so great about this series of talks is that the gospel is not just started in the first week wasn't it the transformation of the heart but actually then it transforms culture and transforms the nations that actually God's gospel is going to transform all of creation so we've got a so the, the weakness sometimes of that position is that we don't we, we, li- we limit the gospel and then over on this side we've got our campaigning environmentalist Christian and, and their real strength is that they're so exemplary in um, in uh Speaking out for the poor, they you know they they can really put us to shame in the way that they bring uh, the message of God's kingdom—that that He He cares for the poor, that He uh, He's got a plan for the earth—and you know they're they're so passionate and they're so and they they're such a good witness to others that don't know God. Say, so, wow, you know, look at how much they care about about the earth and about um, about the poor. But what can be a weakness with with this kind of person is that you can. One thing you can you can uh, get a bit. It's easy to get quite judgmental when when you're that when you're in that kind of position. This is I'm, I sort of really I'm more this sort of way. So if if people, other Christians don't aren't kind of doing that stuff, it's easy to you know you might find yourself getting annoyed with them or impatient. Uh, and another real weakness is that you can just lose sight of God, lose sight of His sovereignty, uh, and lose sight of the fact that um, yeah, it is up to me. But actually ultimately it's up to him you know i i have you've got to hold it to intention haven't you but you know i have got to do stuff now but actually god's going to do it all too and so they, they sometimes just lose sight of that get so bogged down with doing stuff and trying to trying to change things themselves that they they don't become people of the word they don't go to god in prayer they don't um, rely on god's power they don't do it in the power of the spirit so Hopefully you can kind of recognise yourself in one of those two places and just realise you've got to to hold these both in tension, haven't we? We've got to to have have a correct um, biblical understanding of of hope. All right, I've come to the kind of end of my little...